Well, the mission of Light of Life is to see lives transformed through the love of Christ by providing food, shelter, and hope to men, women, and children who are experiencing homelessness, poverty, or addiction. We look at it this way, that God created each of us with unique talents, abilities, and all of that. And that when we live our lives, especially the, the men and women that we deal with, they've experienced a lot of trauma. So they are living way below where God has created them. So that restoration looks like them coming back in touch with their purpose and meaning of life. When we study people who've gone through trauma, um, there's a, there was a study not too long ago, it's called ACES, about adverse childhood events. And uh, we know that the average adult, 60% uh, of the population have had one adverse childhood event by the time they reach adulthood. With our population, 90% uh, have experienced three or more adverse childhood events. So you can imagine these are children having these traumatic encounters as they're young. And often when there is a perpetrator involved, when they are harming someone, they are also speaking to them lies. And, and those lies are embedded into that little child's um, understanding of themselves. And so part of what we have to help them to do is to realize that those, are, those lies that were said about you is not who God said about you. Um, we need to help them to understand that their history is not their destiny. And so sometimes they believe that after they've been harmed so many times that, well, this is who I'm to be or this is how I'm to live life. But that's a lie. God has created them to be princes and princesses in the kingdom of God, and they are unique. And so they need to shed away that, that misunderstanding of those lies and then replace the lies with the truth. Hallelujah. Hello, family. You may not know it, but I'm related to you, so you just get used to it. I'm your cousin you didn't know, or what, you know, one of those shows up at the barbecue. Um, but yeah, I am so connected to this family. I started working at Light of Life back in the 90s, in the early 90s, and back then Pastor Rock and I uh, developed a relationship as we began to, to just dream about how to love this community. Uh, he knew my parents, and so we kind of began to build on that, and Pastor Ed back then, and Pastor Ken and so many other of the staff, just Pastor Donnie, good friends over the years. And then I have family members that go here. My brother was married here. There's just so many connections uh, to this church. So, And now the future is going to be continuing to grow, and we're going to continue to work together. So I'm excited, uh, excited about that. And one of the other things, I'm just honored to just share this, this pulpit um, Pastor Rock has been such a force in the world. And then how do you come after Pastor Rock? And then you get Pastor Allen, and he's just an incredible, amazing leader. Thank the Lord. I mean, you all are blessed, but we're blessed to have him in our city. And uh, it's, just, it's just so awesome. And I get a chance to, when I was preparing for this message, I listened to some of his messages. And, and again... I don't know that you recognize, you don't get people nowadays that will preach the word of God. And he loves the word of God. And I just love that. Not just like one verse, two verses, and then you, you it's like you're reading the word. And so that is a blessing. You are blessed. And so it's from that foundation that I'm going to be building on because I believe the word of God instructs us in everything that we need. And so we're just going to be moving forward into 
uh, the rest of this message today, I'm expecting Holy Spirit to meet us here today, to change us and to transform us. Well, one of the things that I, that I learned um, when I was watching, I saw that, that Pastor Allen had everybody stand and read the Word of God. I thought that was really cool. So I want to be like Pastor Allen. So can we do that this morning? Can we stand? And let's read the word of God together as we begin this process. This is from Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Let's read it this morning with gusto this morning, amen? Nice and loud. All right. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. It's alive. It's transforming. And Lord, as we listen to your word today, as we study your word, as we think about your word, we ask that you would transform us. Father, change me. I want to be changed as a result of my time together, looking at your word and being in this community. Change each one of us. Speak to us. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you to lead and to guide. Prepare our hearts to receive your message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I wanted to start here because everything that we do is based on the example of Christ and his teaching to us about how we are to live. I find it interesting that he made a point to, he was asked about what is the greatest and most important commandment And he says, talks about love the Lord your God, but he very quickly adds the second because he realizes as humans, we have a tendency to focus on one thing. And what Jesus did from the beginning was he was wanting us to understand you cannot separate loving God, loving me, and the way you treat your brother and sister. If you truly love God, it's going to show up and how you live your life with those around you. And so he wanted to emphasize that from the beginning, and that's a great message we all need to remember, that the love that God has given us in our relationship with him is to be shared with others. He leaves us here in order to demonstrate that faith. In fact, the the evidence of a vibrant faith is displayed on how we love God and love people. Both need to be evident and both need to grow. We are masterpieces because of our creator. You know, the worth of a masterpiece is directly tied to the creative genius of the creator of that particular piece of art. If I held up to you a piece of paper with some colorful paint on it right now that I painted, it wouldn't be worth much more. In fact, the value would probably go down because of uh, when I would do it. Um, but if I told you that this was created by Picasso, all of a sudden, it could be worth millions. Because you understand the creative genius is what gives the value 
of that work of art. Well, we are created by the creator of the universe who makes each of us individually, forms us together. His imprint is in us, as Pastor uh, Allen was sharing so eloquently over the last few weeks. We have the image of God in us. Therefore, we are masterpieces. In Ephesians, it emphasizes that. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has given us a new, he has created us a new in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. Now, I have an illustration. I need someone to, to help me this morning. I want to give away a $20, $20 bill, um, but, I, but I need somebody that's going to be willing to, to earn it, but to work, it'll be easy, but I just need somebody to, especially if you're up here, that would be willing to help me, or else it's going to be a very long illustration. Just one, one person, come on. All right, all right, thank you. What's your name? Karen. Karen, all right, Karen. You can hold that. Okay, so this is a, you can touch this, this is a $20 bill. Is it real? Yeah. It is. So it's a, it's a $20, and you can tell it's a $20 bill because of how it's designed. There's a seal on it, and you're familiar with it. When you've touched real money before, you know when it's real. And so it is worth $20. You could buy whatever you wanted to do with this, maybe pizza or I don't know, whatever it is. Okay, so I'm going to give this to you, but before I do, I'm going to look at this and say, you know what, this is an ugly $20 bill. In fact, you're the ugliest $20 bill I've ever seen this is a disgusting $20 bill. Do you still want this $20 bill? I do. Even, <laughs> but but I, just, I just said it was all this stuff. You still want it. I do. Yeah, okay, all right. What if I crinkle it up, throw it on the ground, say you are no good, that you're the worst example of a $20 bill. You're never, in fact, you're worth $2. You're not even worth, would you still want this $20? I'll iron it. <laughs> All right, well, thank you. You've done a great job. Oh, here you so do you see the point? You may think I'm talking about a $20 bill, right? But it wasn't that the things that I said to that bill did not diminish the value of the bill, right? Because that bill had a seal on it that guaranteed its value. All right, some of y'all are starting to get it where I'm going. We are created by the seal of the Holy Spirit. We have the very image of God on us. Regardless of how we've been treated, what people said about us, called us, whatever it was, it did not diminish our value because of the creator God who loved us. Amen? And Psalm 139, uh, and, and Pastor Allen read this just the other week, you made all of the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. We are masterpieces created by God. It wasn't by mistake. Regardless of what your parents might say, you were surprised. It wasn't a surprise to God. And you were knit together by 
the creator of the universe, given your personality and talents and abilities, all these things to have a tremendous impact on this world. But one of the interesting things is, is that as soon as we are born, we come into this world that is broken. And if you're born in a hospital room, there are nurses and doctors around you, all imperfect people. And from that moment, you begin to encounter people who do not understand your value and worth. They may love you very much and all of those things, but it's not the same as your father who created you. Some people have horrendous experiences because of that broken world that they come into. And so right away, there's this disconnection from the source. When you think about it, when a baby comes out of the mother's womb, those first cries from that baby is a cry for connection. It's being in the womb and being connected to the father. And for the first time, the baby is aware of a separation. And the result is a cry for reconnection. He's created each of us for that desire to be connected to our heavenly father and then to also be connected in a godly community. And that's where we get our identity and that's where we get our purpose. But when we are disconnected from our connection with God, we lose our purpose. We lose the fact that we have this identity that's in him. And when we are disconnected from our purpose, we create idols. We we create our own way of living and navigating life. We try to figure it out on our own. And we create these things that never satisfy. We try and we try, but they they are, they are false pursuits because we are meant to find our identity and our connection with our Heavenly Father and our purpose comes out of that and we get, it, we get to see it grow in relationship of a loving community and that's the way he created us. In Romans, 12, in Romans 1 verse 25 it says, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. When we disconnect from God and His purpose, we begin to create our own ways, we create a mess. And we have to be reconnected to Him to get that purpose back. I was uh, happy to, to find out that in this congregation, you all uh, refer to and like the Chosen series. Anyone who's been around me, whether it's at Light of Life or in a church or when I preach, they know that I often will try to weave a chosen clip somewhere into my message. And so they told me I, I could do whatever I wanted today, so I, I'm, I did that again today. We're going to look at a chosen clip. But as we're watching this clip, I want you to think about what we were talking about before, that the man that is being talked to by Jesus was created by God with value and worth. Yet because of the way he had experienced life, 
It had beaten him down so much, he was beginning to believe the lies about himself. But look how Jesus is able to pull him out of that. Let's watch this and then we'll talk some more. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. I'm not asking you about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need So, do you want to be healed? So let's go. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk.
free to walk, like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. Amen. That life is over. Everything changes now. I just love that, uh, that, that clip. I want to point out a couple of things. One of the things, if you want to read more about this, this is found in John, the fifth chapter. And you can read the whole story. But you can see that this man had been so broken down and reinforced by the trauma that he had been in that even when Jesus approached him, he couldn't even believe that he was talking to him. Just to respond to Shalom, he thought he must have been talking to someone else. That's what trauma does. It reinforces the lies that we've believed about ourselves. And when you read the passage, it describes this pool that it was surrounded by a multitude of people. So when you think about it, there was this place where the water was stirred, first person in is able to be healed, was a story that was shared. There was a multitude of people around. This man comes to this pool, has no one with him, so it's totally isolated. In the midst of this multitude, and yet for him to be healed, he had to get into the water before anyone else. It was essentially like trying to hit the lottery. There was like no way that he could do that. But that's the situation he placed himself in. That's one of the things that happens with trauma and when sin is being reinforced, these lies about ourselves, is that after a while we create the conditions that reinforce the lie. Can you see it? Like every time he was there, every time it happened, that tape recorder starts playing. See, you're not worth it. Nobody cares about you. You'll never be healed. You're never going to be any different. All those things just keep playing, yet he put himself in this position where that was going to be his reality. We run into that quite a bit at Light of Life. There's some people I've talked to over the years, and they, they come in angry and upset. Some of them do. And we're trying to love them, trying to give them a meal, trying to, to help. And they're just coming across in such an aggressive way. And there was a time I was talking, I've talked to many of them about this, but there are times that when after they've stayed and they begin to transform and change and we talk about their initial encounter, that they explain that in their life, they were rejected all of their life. So it goes back to elementary school and the teacher said, you'd be no good. And then something happened in high school and, and then they dropped out and they said, you would never amount to anything. And then there's friends and people that abandon them and all this stuff. So then after a while, they come to another place and they're like, you're going to reject me just like everyone else. You're going to hate me just like everyone else. So I'm going to give you reasons to do it so it can happen quicker. So they begin to behave in a way that reinforces the lie about themselves. 
Some of you know people like that, family members even. They continue to do the same thing, and then people are reinforcing the same lies to them. But what we need to do is break the cycle. We're so blessed. I know we have some, uh, some of our staff members of Light of Life here today. Doug Smith is here, and I know there's some others that are around that we have to be people who can create an environment where we can love people in the middle of getting all of that barrage of emotion so that we can get past it into who did God create you to be? What I call the Jesus factor was that Jesus was able to encounter this man and talk to him, not according to his circumstances, not according to his mistakes, not according to all those things, but to call him into his destiny. When, when God fashioned him in his mother's womb, that was not his plan for that man's life. Yet that was his reality, and Jesus began to treat him according to who God created him to be, not what his circumstances said that he had. And now God has given us the ability to do the same thing. I call it your divine calling, my divine calling. We are called now to be that difference. We are called now to carry that same message. Every person in Christ has a divine calling to be an expression of God's love to everyone in our sphere of influence. Think about it. If it was only about our just going to heaven, it would be like Star Trek, right? We just get beamed up. We come to Christ, say amen, and then boom, we're in heaven. But no, he saves us and then leaves us right in the family, right in the community, right in the circumstances that he saved us in. And he leaves us there so that we can carry the good news to others around us. So we have a divine calling. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19, it says this, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Isn't that good? Come back to God. God has left us here to give that message. Some of you have family members. I have family members, relatives that need to come back to God. We have people in our community that need to come back to God. I'd just like us to try that this morning. Can we yell, come back to God together? One, two, three. Come back to God. That's our job description. It's to invite people back to be reconnected with their father. And when they're reconnected with their father, they get their God-given identity. And when they have their identity, then their purpose comes into line. And now they begin to thrive and flourish. That's why we're here, and that's what God wants us to do. I often say at Light of Life that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety or 
the cessation of taking drug or alcohol. It's community. The opposite of addiction is community. When somebody is involved in an addictive lifestyle, what begins to happen is isolation. And if you know of anyone like that, you've seen it. That drug, that relationship, that whatever it is that they're going after, it becomes the God in their life. They will sacrifice everything around them, continue to, to fracture relationships and trust until they are isolated and alone. And then you have the enemy whispering in their ear, see, you're different, you're rejected, you'll never be anything else. And he begins to reinforce those lies. Well, one of the things that Pastor Allen wanted me to do is to, as we were spending our time together, is to talk about the people that we serve, to talk about those who are experiencing homelessness. I like saying it that way because I don't like describing a person as a condition. They may be experiencing homelessness at this time, but that doesn't mean that they are homeless. They are a child of God created in Christ's image. But there's been a series of experiences in their life that have led them to there. And some people ask, well, how do you stop this? How do you stop homelessness? What do you do to reverse this? How many have been to Niagara Falls? Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? When you're there, I just love it. I'm a musician. I love sound. And so one of my favorite parts is when you're a couple of blocks away from Niagara Falls, you can hear it. You hear this roar and you get closer and closer. I just love the sound. There's nothing like that sound. But imagine being at the bottom of Niagara Falls and saying, how can I stop Niagara Falls? You just, you just can't. It's too much. And in the same way, when someone asks me, well, how do we stop homelessness in Pittsburgh or in the United States or in the world? It's just, it's too broad. It's, it's, it's not a monolithic problem. And it's not, there's not one answer to it. It's complex. But do you know that there was a time in, in the 1800s, and this is a picture of it here, where Niagara Falls came to a stop. And the, the reason that it did was that ice dams formed on the tributaries from Lake Erie into the falls. And after a while... The, the falls stopped. I use that analogy to say the way to impact homelessness is not standing at the falls and saying, how can it stop? But it's understanding what are the tributaries to homelessness. And then we need to develop strategies around each of those tributaries. And as we do that, we'll begin to impact the overall number of homeless. So, one of the things in homelessness, one of the tributaries have been created by social isolation that have happened by what I call these four disruptive forces that we have seen in our community, in our society. Uh, we've seen opioid deaths that have been at historic highs. It continued to grow even during COVID, but uh, it, it fell out of the news and so that is just wreaking havoc in our communities and in our families. Many of us have, have lost loved ones to opioid deaths. 
Uh, we had a global pandemic that forced us into isolation. And then with that, increased mental health and, and depression came as a result of that. We've been learning and understanding that trauma has been playing a greater and greater role in people around us. And that trauma continues to have impact on people and how they relate to others and how they view themselves. And then we've seen this dramatic increase of homelessness in our county here, but, but, but around the country and around the world. I travel to other cities that are experiencing numbers much greater than we are. And I spend time with the homeless population. I spend time with missions and county officials. I try to learn from them. What are they doing? What works? What doesn't work? But all of these things are coming together to form this waterfall of homelessness that we are, that we are seeing here today. One of the things that happened that some people don't realize is that um, over the last few years, across the country, there was this initiative by the federal government that was created to help. They wanted to end homelessness. And so, sounds good. And so they, uh, so they wanted to do that by creating this Housing First initiative. And, um, and then they tied dollars to local counties and, and uh, continuum of care uh, organizations that if they would show decreases in their counties, they would get additional money. So, so there was an incentive given that if you could show statistically that numbers were going down, you could get additional dollars released. What ended up happening and happened here in our county was that if you go back and look at the county stats, you just put homelessness, Allegheny County, and you'll see just in the last years it started to tick up, but you could see there was like four years of this decline, even though we all know that the number was going up during those four years. What happened was there was a change in the definition of homelessness. So the definition was changed, and then under that tight definition, they were showing this decrease. As a result then, those declining numbers said, well, then we need less beds. We need less transitional housing. We lost in a four-year period 400 transitional beds. These are like three-quarter houses, places where people could live as they're trying to get back into society. We lost 400 beds during that time. When I was working back in the 90s and through most of the time at Light of Life, it, the definition for homelessness was like very simple. Like if you did not have a safe, secure mailing address... <laughs> because it meant you were there long enough where you can receive mail, uh, you were considered homeless. So if you were in a rehab program and you got out in three weeks, but you didn't have a place to go, you didn't have a home to go to, you were homeless. We would try to find resources for you. If you were in jail and you were being released in, in two weeks, you were considered homeless if you didn't have a, a home to go to. So you could get resources and we would try to work with you while you were in jail so when you came out you had a place to go. Uh, if you were a single mom and you're being evicted from your apartment in three weeks, you could call and get assistance because I'm going to be evicted in three weeks, I'm, I'm homeless and so I need help and you were eligible to get services. Under the new definition, none of those categories, none of those people are no longer homeless because you're currently sheltered. And so those people were told, well, once you're homeless, call back. 
So people were going into homelessness in order to get assistance for homelessness. And then they came to us. One of the things that we get a lot of now is we're one of the agencies that can certify homelessness. So we can say, yes, Joe and Mary, they've come here for services, and we'll write a letter to say that they've received services for us. So now they can take this letter and say, see, I'm homeless, so now can you help me? You can just imagine being in that system, the frustration, the trauma, and imagine if you're a single mom with a child trying to keep yourself in that home and now you're being bounced around from one agency to another, to another, to another, dancing around this definition when all you need is assistance. So that's part of the understanding. Those are part of the things, the contributing factors to homelessness. Mental health, we know, is a major factor. And uh, we need to find ways to help those who are especially dealing with severe mental illness, to be able to help them to be stabilized and get better and love them well. We closed these facilities, and some of them needed to be closed. We don't like those things like one flew over a cuckoo's nest, right? That kind of stuff is, is horrible. But we do need a place for people who have severe mental health where we can love them and help them But when they were just put out on the streets, there was no place for them to go. And we see them. We see them around the city. We need to find a way to love them well. Not because they're a nuisance, not because we want to get rid of them. It's because they are created with the image of God and they they deserve dignity and respect. And we need to come alongside them and bring them that. I mentioned it in in the trailer leading up the whole ACES study that was done. And so this whole thing of understanding how adverse childhood events, the trauma that we experience, impact our adulthood. And again, in that study, um, 60%, the average is 60% of adults have experienced one adverse child event by the time they reach their adulthood. That's something like a, a, uh, a death of a caregiver um, you know, some kind of trauma. Maybe they witness a, a murder um, or they've been raped or incest or some kind of horrible experience. They've experienced one for people who are in the homeless population and people that we serve, the average is 90% have experienced three or more adverse childhood events by the time they reach their adulthood. And many of them have experienced eight or nine including currently being homeless, which is another traumatic experience. So imagine a child going through this life-debilitating trauma as a six-year-old, a five-year-old, a ten-year-old, and then trying to make sense of the world, and then another trauma happens. And they're trying to figure it out. Like, how do you, how do you find stability? How do you, how do you plan for the future? And you've witnessed this event or something has happened to you. And then you begin reaching out, <clears throat> trying to find answers wherever you can find them. And often they're in the wrong places. And then after a while, you have an enemy here that begins to speak in their ear. See, you're, you're different. You're not worthy. You're... 
you're not liked, you're not loved, no one will like you, whatever it is, and they begin to reinforce that lie, and then they begin to live according to that lie. Well, how do we love people in this community? It goes back to what we were saying before. We treat everyone with love, dignity, and respect because they are created in the image of God. Just like that, dollar, that $20 bill we were talking about, regardless, they might be a little tattered. They might look different, might be wrinkled, but their value is still there because they were created by God. And so we need to love them in that way. One of my favorite uh, titles of God, you know, we hear like Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, all these things. And those are all great, and I love worshiping with those. But one of the ones I love is, uh, comes to us from the story of Hagar. Not many people think about Hagar when they think about titles of God. But, but Hagar, when she was running from Sarai at that time, she goes out into the desert. Angel appears to her and gives her destiny, talks about her child is going to be okay and there's going to be a legacy that's going to come. And then she declares the place, Bir Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. In that movie, Avatar, I, I like watching movies. I like that part of that, I see you. That's how they greet each other. I see you. So important that we see each other. So when I'm talking or seeing someone who's experiencing homelessness or some other issue, one of the things, whether I'm going to give them something or not, is I want them to know that I see them. That I see them. You would be surprised at people that I've talked to um, who are panhandling, and I'm not, I, I'm not going to give them any money, but I will talk to them. Sometimes I'll say hello, and they'll just thank me for seeing them, for not looking with disgust at them, for looking them in the eyes, even though I say, no, I'm not going to give you anything right now, but I, I want them to understand that I see the humanity I acknowledge that they are here in the same space with me. It's so important just to be seen. And that can be the step to them beginning to believe that maybe this lie isn't true. Maybe everyone doesn't look at me the same way. And that begins to crumble that, that stronghold the enemy has in a person's life. We should always operate with the fruit of the Spirit. We never have an excuse not to operate out of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That should always come out. We should ask the Father to help us to see everyone as he sees them. I want to see as he does. I want to be able to see Peter, the rough, cussing sailor man, you know, bad attitude, temper, and Jesus could see that this is the man on who. The, the church was going to be built on his declaration. We need to be able to see people not as their current experience, but who God created them to be. 
In Acts 3, there's that story of, of the man that was begging, looking for money, and he says to Peter, uh, you know, Peter says to him, silver and gold have I none, but that which I have I give to you, and they pray in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. What do you have? What do you have? It's not about the, the silver or gold, it's about the presence of God in you. That is the most important thing that we need to offer because remember what a person who's experienced that needs most is reconnection with the Father so they can get their identity and purpose and invitation into a community that loves them. That's where they heal. That's where they transform. And that's what the answer is to childhood trauma. The study showed that, that even though you could track in the brain and see how this... Uh, how things have been reinforced in the way that people think and in the narrow pathways, that it can be reversed if a person is put into a loving community, the brain can rewire itself. So there is hope, and it happens in community. So some people ask for some um, practical suggestions that I like to close with, and... Um, you know, some of the things that I like saying here is that, um, one, I don't like placing a stumbling block in the hands of someone who's living in a destructive or addictive lifestyle. There are, there are times where people have um, given dollars to someone who's begging. We had someone um, a couple years ago now, but uh, he was in the program Relapse went out, started drinking again. It was one of those very cold nights, was below zero. He was begging on the street, did not want to come back to his shelter, but people were giving him money. He was found dead the next morning. Hypothermia with the bottle that he drank. Little did the people know who were giving him money that they were buying him the alcohol that was going to contribute to his death. We don't want to contribute to that, and we need to be careful with that. But we do want to be available to love people in a way to help them to come out of, of that particular lifestyle. You ask yourself, what is the part that they can play in their own healing? See, everyone has agency, even though they feel like they don't, just like that man around the table. They feel like, and they're hearing this lie, you can't change this, you're stuck but they do have agency. They have choice, and they can do that. The way we set up our cafeteria is in a way that we went to this buffet style because we want to reinforce in everything that we do that you have a choice. Even if it's between lima beans and carrots, you can choose. But that starts this process of saying, I have agency. I have power. I can, I can do something. We need, to be able, we need to be able to do that. I'm trying to hurry up here. Uh, uh, but they can play a part in their healing. We need to replace the lies with the truth. One of the things you can do is like carry little healthy snacks, little water bottles. One of the things that we created were these little resource cards for Light of Life. And we have phone numbers here for people who want to get um, um, 
addiction counseling or get into programs, uh, need a ride somewhere. We have all these things on this card. And so we've had volunteers, we have board members uh, just take this, put a little rubber band around it. So if they give someone something, you're also giving them a resource. Get a granola bar, but wrap this around it. So if you are, if you do feel this prompting to do something, always make it an opportunity to give them a resource to change. Um, we want to, um, when, we, when we are prompted to do something, you know, I, I will often, most times I, I won't give, but again, I always try to give dignity and respect. But then there are some times where I'll have the time or have the ability, and I'll say, well, you're hungry, let me take you to McDonald's, and, you know, let's get something to eat. And if they say, oh, no, no, I just want money, then you know they're not really hungry, right? And so, um, but if they do, then I want to take that opportunity, wherever I'm giving them something or if I'm buying them a sandwich or whatever it is, to reinforce this message. Because remember, they are a child of God that's disconnected from their father. So they've lost their identity and they've lost their purpose. And so I want to say something to them like, God led me to do this because he sees you and he loves you. It doesn't have to be a sermon, just something like that. If I do give somebody something, I felt God told, told me to do this for you because he loves you. We are trying to reinforce the message to get them reconnected to their purpose. Uh, outside, uh, we have a resource table uh, these cards are, there's also a QR code. We have some of them out there, but you can use your phone and you can print them up for yourself. But those are things that, that you can do. We are excited to partner with, with you. And we're excited about the Friendship Hub that's coming. And Light of Life, we want to have a presence there. And so as we're coming with some of our neighbors who are coming there for help, we want to have some of our staff members there. And if they're not there, they're just a phone call away. And we can provide transportation to our shelter or transportation to detox centers or whatever it is so that you are not having to do that. We are your partners in this. And we're all loving this community uh, together. I'll end with some resources that I, I like to give. Um, there's a great book called When Helping Hurts. How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. It's a great, a great book. Gets you to kind of think through what is help. When you, what's the difference between relief, rehabilitation, and development? There's another, um, there's another resource here that uh, is uh, called The Deepest Well. Wonderful book by Dr. Nadine Burke Harris. And so it helps you to understand childhood trauma, that whole thing. If that's interesting to you, you can learn about that and, uh, and what they've learned about it. There's a movie, again, uh, the TBS version or something. I don't know. You've got to be careful sometimes. But there's a movie called The Soloist, a great story. Um, Jamie Foxx and uh, Robert Downing Jr. star in this. It's a true story of a... Of a this prodigy cellist that was going to one of the top schools in the country and then began having mental health issues and ended up going from an Ivy League school to being homeless and uh, ends up in Skid Row in L.A. And this reporter 
befriends this person and walks alongside. This movie is kind of like walking alongside this guy. And you get to see, you get to also see like a failed attempt of putting him in one of his housing first apartments. And here was this guy who was like stuck into this apartment without the supports around him. He actually got worse because he was isolated now in this apartment without the tools to survive. And so in some cases, those things can help. But oftentimes, in our study, 75% housing first is not an effective first step. They need rehab first or recovery first. They all need Jesus first. Come on, somebody. (laughs) But housing can be appropriate there. Uh, Changes that heal by Dr. Henry Cloud is great. And the last one, again, I'd give a, um, a caution, but there's a YouTube channel called Tales of the Street. And if you just want, in a safe sense, want to just listen to stories, now there are, there's language in that and, and all of that. If that's offensive to you, then skip that resource. But if you just, there's a, this, report, this guy that just goes into homeless camps and communities, he just sits down and talks to them, listens to their story. That's what our, our outreach team does. And you'll get to hear their tributary to homeless. And you'll find out just like we do, there are people who have PhDs, master's degrees, business owners, very successful lives that ended up in this state. And you can hear some of their stories. In some cases, they follow up and you see how they're going through the system. Well, I want to close with a declaration. I usually have a declaration or a prayer. And I'd just like us to pray this together because we are not called to do anything that Holy Spirit is not helping us to do. So he's going to give us the grace to do it. Amen? So let's read this together. It's my conclusion. And then Chris is going to come up. And let's read it as unto the Lord. Father, I know you are good and you love me. Show me how to love as you do. May I always reflect Christ with my words and actions. I pray that the eyes of our homeless neighbors will be enlightened by the depth and truth of your love. May lies be replaced, your truth, in me and in my neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you so much. Love you, family. Chris.